Well, it is the Thrive Leadership Podcast. Hey, it hey. is CJ Alvarado and We're Brad Lomanek coming at you, bringing the heat, bringing the thunder, bringing the lightning, mm-hmm. bringing the storm, bringing all those things. And here's the thing. We have Miles McPherson on this episode. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Miles is, is a pastor of the Rock Church. He is a best-selling author. He's a dynamic speaker. Wrote a book called The Third Option, which, uh, you know, like during this last year of the pandemic and some of the racial tension and unrest, uh, Anderson Cooper from CNN, you know, had Miles on to right. talk about things that were happening in his book. And, you know, so this is a, uh, this is, this is somebody who knows what they're talking about. And Andrew McCourt sits down with Miles to have a conversation around a number of topics, including the third option and also leadership and probably some church leadership in there as well. So stay tuned for that because mm. it's coming up here pretty quick. But I, I got to ask CJ while I've got him here and while we're together, um, you know, you're, I, I, I brought up Anderson Cooper. Yeah. All right. And Miles, I don't know if he tells the story in this interview, but I know that he reached out to uh, it's one of his, what somebody from Anderson Cooper's team, like reached out to miles and said, Hey, we, we found out about your book. We'd love to have you on. So my question to you is if you could be on with any well-known interviewer within the news sports entertainment world, hmm. and you had like a, you had a breaking thing that you needed to like get out there. Who do you want doing your interview to like, you know, it's the old Barbara Walters days. Remember when Barbara, Barbara oh, Walters yeah. was like the go-to for who, who do you want? Who do you want? Like revealing your, like your My story. Yeah. 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 What a great yeah. question. And I, I'll let the, listen. I'll let the listeners know, Brad didn't, he didn't warn no, me. I didn't prep you ask me. I mean, he just, this Not just comes out of the guy. It just comes out of me. Like it just flows. Yeah. Man. Who would I, I don't, I mean, that's such a great question. I would probably lean toward Fallon. Mm, Okay. Yeah. You're going, you, so you're going to go like, I'm going to go, are you going to go that? Oh, I was going to say, are you going to go like, he's serious. And so you're taking somebody who's obviously funny and then putting him in a serious role or you want him to be funny. Uh, I'd want Jimmy just to be Jimmy, but I would want Jimmy to be Jimmy. yeah, Yeah. 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 And, and I think Jim, you know, I think he has a, a broad audience uh, and he kind of, he, he, he's got some, he's got a way of bringing some thoughtfulness, but also with some entertainment and lightheartedness, he, he intersects those, those spheres. Well, in my opinion. Okay. Yeah. All right. I, I like that. Jimmy. Yeah, yeah. That's a good answer. Jimmy Fallon. Yeah. Who, who, I might, who, I might go. Where would you go? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I sort of go back and forth between, um, some, some of the sports voices that I love, you know, so like a Bob Costas, okay. who is, he's like the voice that the soothing voice of the Olympics, you know, like, oh, yeah, the guy just, Bob. he just, he just oozes like, um, street cred, but also just a gentleness that I want to, I want to, you know, cozy up and tell Bob my story. <laughs> um, but I also like Colbert. There's something about Colbert oh, that Colbert's I. Colbert's great. He was he was like, my number two. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like he would. I feel like he would. He would pull things out of me that I probably wouldn't, you know, reveal myself. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, that was just you know a little side 
question. So for all the listeners, you know, who, who's, who's your person that when you, when you have the breaking news, when, you know, when you've got the book that is now the, been the bestseller for 52 weeks and mm. you need to do your first big interview, that's going to be on national news or on a, you know, on ABC or one of the networks. Who's, who's your go-to, who are you calling in? <laughs> It'd be interesting to hear who people in our community, who they pick, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And and notice we didn't pick like, you know, some Christian celebrity. I mean, nothing wrong with that, but. Nothing wrong with that, but yeah, we didn't. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess that's another question is who would be the Christian celebrity that, that we would want to go with? Who are your options in that area? Just out of curiosity. I, who comes to great mind question. <laughs> I don't know. That's a great question. Like who's the Christian celebrity that you know, is that has a, a news news outlet. I mean, maybe yeah. Dave Ramsey. I don't know. Yeah. Somebody like that. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Enough of that. Let's get to Miles McPherson. Let's. Andrew McCourt sitting down with Miles McPherson. As we said, he's a best-selling author, pastor of the Rock Church, played in the NFL. Mm-hmm. A lot of people know that, but a lot of people don't know that he played in the NFL. And a lot of the, the, the players today in the NFL see Miles as their pastor, whether they live in San Diego or they just, he, he has a real connection to a lot of young 20-something NFL players and they look up to him, they see him as a mentor. So you're going to love this. Get your moleskin out, buckle your seatbelt. Let's, let's get, jump in to Miles McPherson, Andrew McCourt interviewing him. Here we go. Great to see you. Well, I don't know if you can see all of us. We can clearly see you. You're on all our screens in the main worship center here. Uh, we got hundreds of staff sitting out in the room. They are excited. They've just eaten uh, a lot of calories in the form of cookies. They've got coffee inside of them. So they're ready to go. <laughs> what kind of cookies? I heard about the cookies. I was kind of jealous. Well, it's this. What, what are they called again, everybody? Crumble. Crumble. They're just called crumble. They're just, they're oh. just got lots of calories. The, the devil is in those cookies. So, hey, so good to see you. And um, uh, I just want to say as well, you're not only a pastor, but formerly you're an NFL player. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I played for the San Diego Chargers for four years. I was drafted by the Los Angeles Rams, got cut in 1982 and played for the Chargers four years, 82 to 85. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, we know your time is limited. We want to make the most of this. Uh, we are on a journey here in Bayside like so many other churches. And uh, as I said, and just in that introduction, we're looking to you to help us on our journey. So w- would you just love to, or would you take a moment just to tell us a little bit about your own world of like family, diversity, and experiences of just growing up? What was that like for you? Yeah, my grandparents are from Jamaica, West Indies. I have two black grandfathers, one white grandmother and one half black and half Chinese grandmother. Wow. Um, My white grandmother was sent from Jamaica, West Indies to Jamaica, Queens, New York, so she would not marry a black Jamaican. (laughs) Uh, But if anybody's been in Jamaica, Queens, New York, there's nothing about black Jamaicans there. So uh, my (laughs) grandfather and her started dating. He could not go in the front door of a house. They ended up getting married and she was cut off from her family when they got married. We never met them. They lived 15 minutes away. I never met anybody from her side of the family. So it was all us brown people and my white grandmother. And that was it. I grew up in a black neighborhood, went to school for the first eight years of my life in a white neighborhood, got harassed in the white neighborhood because I wasn't white, got harassed in the black neighborhood because I wasn't black enough. <laughs> but my family was diverse and my football teams were diverse. So I lived in this 
you know, this divided, segregated world, literally by one street that divided black and white and was always in the middle, but my family was diverse. And so it was always in my face and I was always experiencing. It wasn't like over there, it was in my face. And when I was eight years old, Martin Luther King died, was killed. And I remember thinking, what can we do? And I remember thinking how unfair it was. Fast forward, you know, 50 something years now, I wrote a book called The Third Option, and it was to give people tools to get along because the spirit of division, more as much now as ever, is, is so prevalent in our world. Uh, but I wrote it, you know, four years ago, three years ago, started writing it. and But it was to give people tools on how to get along because I've seen it, I lived it. All the football teams I've, I've been on and sports in general, you have people come from all over a community or professional sports all over the country but yet we have one common goal, one common enemy. The common enemy is the other team. The common goal is to win. And we all focus on what we have in common and bring our differences to the table to share that common goal. And that's how we win. Wow. Tell us more about this book. We've all got this book in front of us. We bought a copy for everybody today. So the next time you're up at Bayside, you got to sign everybody's book. Hey, I'm there. Let's go. Let's do it. Let's do it. And by the way, tell Pastor Ray, I know he's probably uh, in Hawaii somewhere watching on video, but <laughs> tell him I love him. I appreciate him. <laughs> well, he's always living somewhere between heaven and earth and just floating around. He's so cool. Um, um, yeah, but tell, tell him I appreciate the opportunity. Um, you know, you have, we live in this us versus them world and you're either for or against Black Lives Matter, you're for or against the police, you're Republican, Democrat, you're for or against immigrants. And whenever you have conversations, I'm sure it's the same way in churches, you know, especially the election, are you for or against Trump, for or against Biden? And once you tip your hat to which side you're on, you are then the enemy of the other side. And it's the spirit of division. And if you're on one side and you say anything in favor of the other side, you get canceled by your side. And, and so especially as pastors, you know, we're, we're out there talking, you know, if you say something that people can interpret as for the other side, even if it's biblical, even if you pray for a leader that they don't like, all of a sudden now you're on that political party, you voted for them, you believe it, and they just cancel you because people have gone crazy. Mm. And so we live in this us versus them culture. The third, and those are the two options. The third option is that we honor and give value to what we have in common. Because I believe that we are more similar than different. You said in a few minutes ago that we're all made in the image of God. The image of God in me is exactly the same as the image of God in you. Mm. It's not inferior or superior. Whether I'm rich or poor, black or white, Hispanic, Asian, whatever. The image of God is the image of God. God's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow in you and in me. That is the highest thing, the most important, powerful thing that we all share in common, but we all love our sleep. We all love cookies. We all love our food, <laughs> our families. We all, you know, we all want purpose. We all want to be live in a safe place. We all are more similar than different. Matter of fact, we are all variations of the exact same thing. Mm. God made humans in his image and he just made us with different variations, but I have a color, you have a color, but we still have color. Yeah. We just have variations of color. And so the whole book is based on the fact that we're more similar than different. And if we focus and be prophetic in the world, people are challenged to be activists, my side against your side. Biblically, we're called to be prophetic, which is that we call people to a higher level of unity in Christ and in God's in the kingdom of God. And so the book was designed to say, listen, how can we live prophetic lives? 
And how can we focus on the things that we have in common? And once we do that, we will realize that the differences, the variations that we bring to the table actually enhance our life. And so that's what the book is about. Wow, wow. You probably can't see it, but people are writing away frantically in journals that we've given them. You're dropping gold everywhere here. But let's dive into the book. Let's get to some of the issues. You said one of the biggest sort of aha moments in the book is this line here. You can be racially offensive and not be a racist. Do you want to unpack that for a little minute? What's your thinking behind that? Yeah, and, you know, there are two chapters. There is only one topic that have two chapters and it's the chapter on blind spots, not knowing what you don't know. All of us have blind spots. The social narrative is a story that shapes how you see the world. All of us were born into the world in a certain family, a certain culture, a certain neighborhood, a certain perspective. We were taught how to see the world by our family, friends, school, and that's our social narrative. But the only problem is it's very limited. And it's not sinful necessarily in the sense of, necessarily negative or racist, it's just limited. And therefore we have biases. We learn who to trust over other people. We learn who to think is smarter, who to think works hard, who to think deserves a second chance, more grace when mistakes are made because people who are like us, we give preferential treatment to. There's a chapter on grouping, in-group, out-group. We could talk in a minute about, we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But because I have these biases, there are things that I think are okay to say when I re- when I don't really know that they're not okay to say. For example, <laughs> saying you don't see color. Well, of course you do. The only time people say that is when they see color and don't want to talk about it. Mm. Your eyes are responsible for 90% of your brain activity. Your brain processes 100,000 bits of information a second. I mean, shape, motion, depth, texture, uh, color. You can't not see color. It's impossible. Even if you close your eyes, you see black. And so to say you don't see color, even though what you're trying to say is, I don't want to treat you any different, but what you're saying to a person of color is, I don't see you. I don't see what your color, your ethnicity, your culture brings to the table. I'm going to make you just like me. And so you just erase the person's culture. You just erase the person's experience. You just erase and decided to declare that you will ignore any burden related to that color. And so the first time someone told that to me, I thought they had eye stigmatism. I said, look, you're not jacked up. You don't see red, blue. They said, no, no, we we just don't see your color. And I was like, well, if you don't see color, how do you know I have a color that you don't see? Mm -hmm. And so to the person of color, we're like, we roll our eyes like whatever. But what you think, whoever's saying it, they believe what they're saying is let me build a bridge. But in fact, they're, they're canceling the person's culture. And so you're a blind spot is not knowing what you don't know. It's the gap between what you intend to say or do and the impact of what you say or do. And and so not when people think, well, I'm not a racist, therefore there's nothing I could ever say that's offensive is an ignorant statement because it's like saying, you know, um, the fence is on the person who's hurt. And so if we can accept that maybe there's things I'm saying and doing that offend people, that I don't think they are, but maybe they are. Maybe I should ask and find out, is there anything racially offensive? And one of the things I want to talk about before we get off, and I know we got some time, but is a six-week curriculum that I wrote on this for churches, and we have a, a for businesses, police, we are now have a K-8 curriculum, uh, K-12 actually on these six classes, 
But one of the homeworks is to ask people, is there anything I do that's racially offensive? Because that's how you can know some of the blind spots that you have. Yeah. Just a lot of people, uh, Pastor Miles, are nervous about going on this journey because the last thing they want to be accused of is being a racist. That just seems to be today. You know, you're immediately canceled. But how can we practically go on this journey uh, of trying to reveal blind spots? Because we know if we're driving a car and we got blind spots, we're going to have trouble. So how, how, what was practical steps of revealing these blind spots? You know, there's a great book. Uh, it's, it's an incredible book on how to walk with people. It's called the Bible. <laughs> and it, it is a, it's a great, great quote in the Bible. We'll that, order that everybody has, a Bible. Do that quickly. Yeah, yeah, you got to get, get everybody a Bible. There's, and it's a great, it's a great um, uh, quote in there. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 and 40 says, uh, they asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love God with your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbors yourself. Mm. If we could just say, listen, I just want to love people. I, I, I want to love people. And if there's something I don't know about offending you, if I come and say, listen, I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to be sp- quick to, slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to anger. And I want to learn. Is there anything I, I say it's offensive? You know, one of the things that when I teach this, I ask in, in a room with people, and I, you could do this. I can't see the people, but if you could look to the crowd and watch this. How many ladies in that room, raise your hand if you know a creepy dude? <laughs> <laughs> look at all the hands going up in that room. Some of them have got two hands up. <laughs> this hands up, right? And now, now the guys in the room, I'm not going to ask you a question. I'm just going to pose something to you. If you were to go up and ask the ladies in your life, are you that creepy dude? <laughs> I guarantee you, Pastor, that there's some creepy dudes in that room. And these guys would probably think, man, I'd be scared to ask because I might be that creepy dude and not know it. That's a blind spot. <laughs> because you've been doing something all your life and you just, you're just creepy. But now, does it mean you're a bad guy? Not necessarily. You could be, but... This, so I think if we could just humbly say, look, I, am, I, I, want, I don't want to be an offensive person. Can I, can I say this? Or can you help me if I say, have I ever said anything that's offensive to you? Have I ever said anything that's inappropriate? Please teach me. There is not a, a person of color that I know that wouldn't say, I would love to help you. Mm. But if you, I, I, was, I was on a call once with, it was a church call and it was a Zoom and maybe 50 white people and they were asking questions it was about the book and one said if we feel we offended a black person should we one ignore it and hopefully it goes away or two should we say something now so i said to the person well what would you do if you offended a white person would you ignore it or would you say hey i want to know just people are people and i think we make this way too complicated and if you have a relationship with people and you have a humble heart, which is biblical, and you, and, and if you offend somebody, go to them, which is biblical. And you love somebody, which is biblical. And you love somebody as you love yourself, which is biblical. If you just do those things, God's love covers a whole multitude of sin. Fantastic, fantastic. So I said earlier on about hearing you at the art conference, and you said many incredible things pulled from the book. But what, one of the things that really stood out to me was about going to the the shadows, the dark places in our hearts where we may not think we're a racist, but we got a bias and we need to go and relabel some people 
in our lives. We need to go in and relabel them. Do you, do you want to unpack that a little bit, coaches? Yeah, and 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 this is also not. It, this is not anything to really beat yourself up on as far as uh, I don't remember the dark place of the heart thing, but I, some, yes, some people, yes. But the Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself. Everybody in the room say neighbor on count three. One, two, three. Neighbor. Good. Love your neighbor. Neighbor is a title. It's a label, I should say. And it's a label of honor. You are my neighbor. I'm supposed to love you as myself. You are like me. The reason, one of the reasons in the church that we have division is that we have relabeled people. It's those people, you know, they're black or white, they're Republican, Democrat, they're rich, they're spoiled, they're privileged, whatever it is, they're immigrant. We've taken the label neighbor off and we put a dehumanizing, devaluing label. Everybody's made an image of God. Racism devalues or dehumanizes people because of their color, or, or you can dehumanize people for a lot of reasons. And you're saying, I don't see you, I don't see the image of God in you. I see you as less than the image of God. The image of God in you is less than in my, me. And then we give you another label. We give them thug or whatever. When I was a kid, we used to watch Cowboys and Indians, mm -hmm. and we were told that the Indians were savages. That was their label. And so because they're savages, then we allow themselves to be mistreated and cut up and, you know, killed. And so when you watch the news and you look at social media and you talk to your friends or whatever, listen to the labels that people are putting in your head about other people. Mm. Doesn't matter what they do. Doesn't matter what you see in the news. It doesn't matter what they believe. It doesn't matter. They're made in the image of God. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't, it doesn't mean you have to agree with everything they say and do, just like they don't have to agree with everything you say and do, but they're made in the image of God. And so if you put the label a neighbor on them and you realize that they like you, and I'm glad you said in the very beginning that we're all on a journey mm -hmm. and that your obligation biblically is to love them on that journey. And then that journey and loving them, they're going to grow, you're going to grow. Mm -hmm. And that there's things you don't know that because you're blind spots and they have blind spots. And if we would approach people that way, because you cannot love somebody above their label. If you see, wow. if you call someone stupid, you'll never see them smart. Mm. You call someone ugly, you'll never see them pretty. If you call someone lazy, you'll never see them work hard. But if you call them son and forgiven and beloved and anointed, which That's are that. unlimited labels, now anything's possible. And so if you could all label each other, start with neighbor, start with beloved, start with brother, sister. Um, and, and it's so powerful. And just by that one word, that one label, you either open up the potential of how much you can love them and honor them and value them, or you put a cap on how much you love them and you and you limit how much of God can flow through you because you're not gonna you're gonna say, I'm not gonna even give God an opportunity to love them through me because I'm not gonna talk to them, I'm gonna avoid them, I'm gonna talk bad about them, I'm gonna withhold from them just because of the label. Excellent. Uh, great, great advice. Um, I, I want to just talk more about the emotion of all of this, um, especially in the last year and everything that's going on. Um, you've been a leader in this area. You've written about it. It's text on a page. Uh, but um, there was a certain interview I remember watching. You poured your heart out. You poured your heart out. You were there. There was tears in your eyes. I mean, it caused us to cry with you. It was 
this positive infection of just the heart of God, of brokenness. Uh, how, how, do we, how do you personally handle all the emotion, some of the frustration, and how do we turn that into action? Uh, how do you do that personally? Can you coach us on that? Yeah, you know, I'm doing a series um, in March called The Burden of Proof. If you were in a courtroom uh, and you had an accusation against somebody, it is the you have the burden to uh, uh, the burdens on the on the accused to, to prove the evidence, approve the person guilty with evidence. And the burden of proof is what is the proof that God's burden is my burden in my life? I claim to be a Christian. Well, it's the burdens on me to prove that I am that. And I think for me, I, the interview you're talking about was right after George Floyd was killed, and sharing what that did for me, I, I did not realize at that time, which I, and I probably cried the next 20 interviews. I didn't realize the burden I had carried wow. and the pain I carried all my life of feeling less than. And when I saw that guy kneel on George Floyd's neck, it was a statement to, and this is why so many blacks were outraged. It, it and whites too, but blacks were outraged for a different reason, I think, was it was a statement that, yes, you are less than, there's nothing you can do about it. Because it was so blatant, it was so in your face. And, 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 and so that was the interview you saw. And for me, I had to, um, and even when I was writing this book, I had a lot of emotion writing the book, is to write something and communicate it in a way where people can receive it versus just being uh, emotional about it. Mm. Because there is a wall that has gone up. I don't want to hear it anymore, you know, you know um, and it's, it's a very scary uh, topic. But the reason I wrote the book and this six-session diversity training course that I would love to talk about yeah. is to help people on the journey in a way that is palatable and that we can receive these ideas versus uh, throwing it into people's faces saying, you know, you're a racist because we're all not racist. I mean, everybody's, every white person is not a racist, even though some would say that. But we all are on a journey of self-discovery about our biases and our perspectives and how, what do you think, why the Bible talks about loving people? Because we have to learn how to do that. And that's all this is. It's no different. It is simply learning how to love people. And, um, and so my energy, my passion, my emotion is, is to try to communicate that in a way where people go, I get it. That's why, you know, I, I, we're doing police departments and businesses and, and the world, the, the, the mainstream world is saying, can you tell us this? Because a lot of what they're getting and a lot of diversity training in, in, the, in the mainstream world is about differences. We're different and it's about shame. This is about we're more similar and it's about honor because it's more of a biblical message. And so my passion is to get that across to the church. And I'm going to tell you this, the church is way behind and here's why. In the church, and, and I deal with, I'm dealing with a, a Christian organization right now. They're like, well, you know, we're all one in Christ. What the heck does that mean? You know, and, and I know what it means, but what you're telling me, so one one in Christ, that means you, we all treat each other perfectly. That is the biggest cop-out, and that's the scary thing about believers, is that 
we can say we're all one in Christ and then be racist at the same time and not even know it, mm. which goes back to your first question. And but in public schools, uh, court schools, we have a we have a partnership with Orange County, Riverside County, San Diego County School District to teach this. Police departments, businesses, because they are not only mandated, they they want it and they're asking for it. And churches are like, well, you know, we're all one in Christ. It's like you <laughs> you're telling me you don't have a problem. And and so I think we all have to look in our heart and say, how bad do we want to learn how to love one another and give honor to each other, and not hide behind the fact that we're Christian? Because you know, saying saying we're all one in Christ has nothing to do with how well you love people has nothing to do with how well you've segregated against people and, and the view you have. Uh, that's called being a disciple and learning how to be more like Jesus. Beautiful, beautiful. Uh, one more question before we just wrap up with some practical steps to move ahead. Again, in the book, you talk about in-group and out-group and, and how we got to show some in-group love to the out-group. <laughs> talk to us about that, in-groups, out-groups, and how we love each other. Yeah, you know... Um, Every single one of us are in multiple groups. Guys are our group, women are our group, married men are our group, grandfathers are our group, pastors are our group, worship leaders, blah, 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 blah. We're in multiple groups. And if whatever group you're in, everybody that's in that group is part of your in-group. Everybody not in that group is part of your out-group. We give preferential treatment to the people who are part of my in-group. We're nicer to them, we're more patient. In my book, I have nine characteristics of in-group bias more patient, we give more grace, we expect to get along, we understand each other better, and we just feel more comfortable. And But if you're not in that group, you're part of the out group. That means you're not as patient, you don't give as much grace, you don't expect to get along, you don't have more, as positive assumptions. So in group, you give in group bias, out group discrimination, and it doesn't mean that you're prejudiced or hateful, it's just who you gravitate to. But if I gravitate and I'm more kind to people who are like me, that means I'm less kind to people who are not like me. Well, that, that's, that's, that's how prejudice, that's how you experience prejudice. Now, here's a cool thing. If I wanna give in-group bias, which is preference treatment to someone in my out-group, I could just do that, or I can make them part of my in-group by just finding one thing that we have in common. Because if we have something in common, guess what? We're part of the in-group. <laughs> we have more things in common than different. <laughs> so I could say, well, you're human. That's one. You have DNA. You have a soul. You were made in the image of God. You have a family. I was in a prison once speaking. I just finished speaking. It's white, three white supremacists are walking around the yard with no shirts on, they had tattoos. And God said, go over and talk to them. So I went over and the guys are walking by. And there's black guys out there, Hispanic guys out there, white guys. There's like a couple of 300 guys out in the yard. And I walk up to the track where they were walking and called the guy white supremacist over and he got this close to my face. And we had about a 60 second interchange. What was ironic is that he had so much ink on his body from tattoos that he painted himself black. <laughs> I'm like, brother, aren't you defeating the purpose? You're a white supremacist, you look blacker than me. <laughs> he and I were 99.5% genetically identical. Mm. Made in the image of God, both sons, we're both maybe dads, maybe brothers, both love our sleep. I could, I could list a thousand things that we have in common. And if, and, if, and if I focused on that with him and said, look, this is what we're gonna talk about. This is the basis of our relationship is that we are going to talk about the things that we have in common. All of a sudden, the one thing that he thinks 
makes us different is going to fade away. And we're going to learn that it really isn't relevant. And so I think for if, if we wanted to um, create people that are in an in-group, the main thing to do is to find out and identify the things that we have in common. And then all of a sudden that person's in your in-group. If I came and walked into your church and in and, and the pastor's meeting and no one knew me, you know, you know, okay, here's a guy. But if I say, hey, I'm a pastor, oh, <laughs> now we have all this stuff we can talk about because we, we, we all, we, we have the same world just from that one thing. And so I think if everybody in that room looked around the room and said, you know what, look at all of, and went up to someone that you really don't know and you just sat and sat down and found one thing you have in common like you love your sleep. I mean, how many, raise your hand if you love like going, it's like going to bed the best time of the day. I mean, come on, for real. <laughs> I mean, going to bed to me is the best time of the day, right? And man, can we talk about that for a while? Mm. Um, so that's so th that's how you give in-group bias to your outgroup. Right, great. Hey, two things then, uh, when, when this craziness lifts a little bit, this whole COVID stuff, um, would you come up to Bayside and talk to us about this, the whole third option? People are clapping. There's pressure here. Oh, I, listen, I, I come to Bayside anytime. I, I do want to, if I can, talk about the, the training that I have. Is that okay? Yeah. No, but I want to get a guarantee first that you're definitely going to come to Bayside. Okay, that's good. So that, that's great. You all saw it here. Take a picture right now. Okay. <laughs> then the next one is, what, what about this six-week course? Um, talk to us about that. So this six-week course is, there's a Christian version. There's a mainstream version. That's why I said we're in the police and the businesses, et cetera, schools. And then we have a K through eight, K through 12 version, five-year-old, six-year-old. We have some educators that wrote that. It's based on six classes. There's a 10, 12-minute teaching video, a workbook with discussion, role play, and then homework, which is the personal development guide. And the classes are on, the first one's on similarity, racism, and honor. We talked about similarity. Next one is on grouping, how we group ourselves together. Mm -hmm. The third one is on blind spots, um, not knowing what we don't know. And then the fifth one, the fourth one is on uh, labels. We talked about labeling. And then brother, sisters, keeper, how we need to hold each other accountable. Listen, we all know our family that talks behind people's back, our friends who are racist. We all got those people. Well, what if we had technique to say, hey, look, mm. you know, do you really know those people? You know, that's not my experience. I need to introduce you to somebody. What if we can be hold lovingly, hold them accountable? And then the last class is on having race consultation, not race conversation. Mm. Because we see color. We have race conversation in our head every time we see a person. Even if you're white and you look in the mirror, you're having a race conversation, whatever whatever you are, white, black, Asian, whatever. When you look in the mirror, you're having a race conversation. You're looking at a white person, a black person, whatever you are, and you know and have expectations of what people like you are. That's a race conversation. The problem is when we meet other people, we impose those assumptions on them because of what they look like. So instead of having a race conversation, we should suspend our perception and have a race consultation, which is allow them to self-disclose to us who they are. I was in a, a, um, 
golf at a golf course and I was walking to my car with my clubs and this white kid pulls up in the cart. He worked there. He had his golf shirt and his shorts and he was in shape and good looking kid has comb, hair comb, you know, all prepped up <laughs> in shape, dude. And 25 years old, I said, where are you from? He said, Iowa. I want you to imagine in your head, a white kid from Iowa, white kid from Iowa, he's a white kid, right? But he's from Iowa and in shape. And I asked him his name. He said, I said, what's your name? He said, my name is DeAndre. <laughs> now, if you're laughing, it's okay. It's not racist to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> but the reason that you're laughing is because when you think in your mind, about a white kid from Iowa, what his name would be. You would not think DeAndre. Now, if I said Philadelphia, maybe. <laughs> white kids from Philly are different, okay? <laughs> they're, 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 it's just a different culture there. But he said, my name is, and he said it like DeAndre, like that. And I'm like, and I just fell out laughing because as I was doing a race consultation, and allowing him to disclose to me who he was, his name, I've discovered that his name was not what I would have assumed. And then I started talking about his family, and then all of a sudden, where did he get that name? And you know, who picked it, his mother or father? What was going on? And all of a sudden, we had a rich conversation. Imagine if every time you met somebody, you let them self-disclose to you instead of you putting your assumption on them. I mean, next time you go to the airport, I, I don't have been to the airport in a year, but you go someplace where there's a diverse group of people not like you from your culture, and you just talk to them as humans and humbly learn and love, your, your life will be so enriched because God don't make junk. What we call junk, because our culture is so mm. prideful and divisive, God doesn't call junk. He, they're made in his image. Mm -hmm. And people are fascinated. And, and you know, when I, when I grew up, I had guys in my neighborhood who were on my football team who people called thugs especially the white kids in the white neighborhood I went to school with. They didn't know these guys. These guys were like my brothers. As a matter of fact, this is one of them. Mm. Um, I played football with this guy since I was 10 years old. This picture was when I was 10 years old. He's number 42. I'm number 21. He's got 42 because he was twice as good as me. <laughs> <laughs> His life was harder because he was darker. The darker you are in this country, in the world, the more dangerous and menacing you are in the eyes of people who don't know better. That's just a fact. And, and studies show that. But he's like my brother. And so until you meet someone and talk to someone and get to know people, you are operating with blind spots and you are being more offensive than you think, even in your thoughts. And so we cheat ourselves. You know, people who walk on the other side of the street from this guy cheat themselves out of the experience of meeting him. And, wow. and so we just have to give God more credit than, and people more credit than we do. Stop listening to CNN, stop listening to Fox. And I'll say this, the media has an agenda and that is to keep us divided. Please do not, and I'll say this last, and it doesn't have to be lastly, but I'll say this, please take this to heart. I have all the conversations I have with Christians about race. Most of them, 90 something percent, is informed by politics and media. I promise you, you are ill-informed. It needs to be informed by the Bible.
good. When Joshua was leading the Israelites into the promised land, Joshua chapter five, he was com confronted by the command of the Lord's army and Joshua, God's man, leading God's people to God's land. He says to the command of the Lord's army, are you for us or adversary? In other words, the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Hevite, the Jebusite, the Uptite, and the Adesite, they're our enemy. So you must be on our side. And he says to the commander of the Lord's army, are you on our side or our adversary? Now, I'm going to tell you, in church, we think people who don't believe what we believe, and I'm not talking about biblically even that too, but politically, whatever, are our enemy, adversary. But this is what Joshua, this is what Joshua said to the commander of the Lord's army. Are you on our side, God's people, three, two million Jews going into the promised land, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's descendants, you made promises, covenant. You must be on our side or our adversary. And the commander of the Lord's army said, I'm not on your side. Yeah. Nope. He gave him a us versus them proposition, binary proposition. The world, the media, your culture, your family gives you a binary uh, proposition. You have to pick one or the other. No, you don't. You have to pick the third option. And the commander of the Lord's army said, I'm not on your side, Joshua, and I'm not in the Canaanites. Now, some of y'all in that room are going, well, that's blasphemous. That's heresy. Read the Bible. <laughs> hey. <laughs> he, he, said, he said, no. And then he says, as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And when he told Joshua, Joshua, I am the side. I'm not on your side. You're on my side. Yeah. This whole thing about the promised land is my idea. And Joshua fell on his face in worship. He said, Joshua, if we're going to do this, just understand, this is about me, not you. I'm not here to support you. You are here to support me. You are here to follow me. We're going to do it my way. Racial unity, racial justice, social justice is not the black man's idea, the Chinese man, the white man's idea, the Republicans or Democrats. It's God's idea. And if we get with God's program, it's pretty, it's a whole lot more simpler. Mm -hmm. But if we get in, if we're trying to do this through a Republican lens or a Democratic lens, we're done. It ain't going to work. It's not going to work. We must be the kingdom of God, not us, not them, but prophetic. Beautiful. Come on, everybody. I'll just say this out of interest, yeah, you, I, you know, Miles, we've talked before, and you know, I'm from Northern Ireland, and it's very, you know, the conflict that we grew up in, the separation, we used to preach that very same verse. He's, he, he, you know, he's not a Catholic God, not a Protestant God, he's God, <laughs> that's just dead, and he doesn't take a side, so that's beautiful. Hey, you have blessed us today, we're going to look into that curriculum and the six-week study as a staff, um, but would you do this here? You're, you're, you're many things, but you're, not, you're a man of God, you're a man of the Spirit, and somehow digitally, would you pray for us? And yep. the Holy Spirit, you know, he, he can come through the Zoom, <laughs> And, and Pastor, and before I pray, I'm going to say this. The, the curriculum that you're going to look into, we want to, we want to create third option cities, which are communities, virtual and real, that lean into their options. So you have police there. You have public schools. You have businesses. We can get a version for them as well. And they're in your church. And so there's, a, there's an outreach opportunity Fantastic. to bring the gospel. Lord, thank you so much for Bayside. Thank you so much for the mantle, the anointing you have on that church, on the leadership. All the pastors, Pastor Ray, who has uh, pioneered an amazing ministry that has global impact. Mm -hmm. And I pray that the standard and model that they have set in the world, not only in California, but in the world, 
I will continue to grow. I thank you for them taking a bold step to have this conversation. I pray for all the staff listening right now and everybody who's going to watch this later, um, that you would stir their heart to live out the third option and to honor the things that we have in common and to look for the, the image of God in every single person. Look for the value that you have established and put a stamp on every soul, uh, no matter what the person has done, no matter what the views a person has that we would love them as we love ourselves. You didn't say love your friends, you said love your enemies as well. So I pray in-group, out-group, whether we think they're like us or not, that we would love them and plant, put the label neighbor on every single person that you would stir our hearts and make this uni unity reconciliation thing so much easier and simpler than it needs to be. May it simply be us loving people as we love ourselves. Stir our hearts, fill us with your unconditional, overflowing rivers of living water love for every person. And I pray we can practice that today in Jesus' name and in nombre de Jesus. Amen. Amen. Come on, give it up for Pastor Miles. Thank you so much. We'll be in touch. We'll see you soon. Thanks again to Miles. Hopefully that was helpful for you. Hopefully you filled up your moleskin. You got some, got some new thoughts. You got some things that inspired you and hopefully challenged you. That's, we want to both inspire you and make you feel good, but we also want to make you feel uncomfortable on the Thrive Leadership Podcast because there are some things in our culture right now that we need to, uh, we need to be uncomfortable with and not, uh, not, not dip into that world where we're just listening to people we always listen to and thinking the things we always think and, uh, being comfortable with our our life and our leadership. So thanks, Miles, for joining us, for challenging us. And uh, you can find him on all the outlets. So yep. I'm just going to tell you to go Google him. That's the best way. Right. Yeah. If you if you're looking for some of the resources that he mentioned, his book, there's a study guide. Just go to thriveconference.org. Head over to that resource uh, button there in the navigation, and you'll be able to find uh, the resources he was talking about. And Brad, of course, if people want more. You know, yep. sometimes folks hear something and they want more. You can just go to thriveconference.org. We've got a ton of webinars for free there with leaders that are baked every week. They come out of the oven fresh and oh. a great, great insight. Man, that's a good analogy. Coming yeah, out of the get, oven fresh. Get yourself some, some fresh bread every week. Hot, hot leaders now. Just that's like, right. <laughs> just like Krispy Kreme donuts. That's it, man. Every Wednesday, these free uh, webinars are happening either with, you know, senior pastor Ray or Andrew or someone like that. And um, some great, some great leaders there. So check that out. It's absolutely free. And then we've got a series of podcasts in the Thrive Network that people should check out. You know, we've got the Women's Leadership Podcast with Angie Waisaki and others, which is an incredible uh, podcast. Ray's got his own podcast, the Ray Johnson Leadership Podcast. And of course, the OG in the bunch. That's right. The, the Drive Leadership Podcast with Brad and I. Uh, you can find any of those shows uh, anywhere you listen to podcasts, Apple, Stitcher, Google, what have you. Just uh, go to those platforms and, and look us up. Subscribe, yeah, rate, and review. We're glad you're on the journey with us. We're glad you're tuning in. You're, uh, you're probably mowing the lawn. Wherever you are, you might be mowing the lawn. Or you might be like blowing the snow. Blowing snow. Uh, yeah. Both of those things are happening this time of year. And depending on where you are in the world and you might be driving, you might be stuck in traffic in the Silicon Valley. You might be in between San Francisco and San Jose thinking my life is 
difficult because I spend two hours in a car. But here's the thing. We're helping that commute go way faster and be much more development for you. Mm. So thank us. We're, yes, thank we're the, contributing. Thank the people around you. Thank, thank all the cars who are now lined up. Thank you for yeah. giving me time to listen to CJ and Brad right. bring such great value to my life. <laughs> right? We're happy to do it, aren't we? That's right. Thriving churches, thriving leaders, healthy churches, healthy leaders. That's our goal. Mm. And uh, thanks for joining us on this episode. Until next time, it is CJ Alvarado and Brad Lominick tuning out. We will talk to you on the next episode of the Thrive Leadership Podcast. <laughs>